Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. All right, well, we'll get on with uh, This is part two of uh, our relationship series. We're calling it real Asianships because relationships are real, or at least they should be. And uh, the impact of them is real anyways, even if you're in a fake one. It's still, <laughs> I don't know, it's real, right? Life happens, it's real. Moving quickly along into my notes before I say anything else stupid. All right, last week, Jen says good. Last week we were talking about, um, Pastor Carl mentioned the, the Jesus mindset in relationships and, uh, and how that's really, really important. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. But just as a little caveat before we begin, uh, in case you don't know, like, you can't get away from relationships, right? They're everywhere. Like, we've got different kinds. We've got good kinds. We've got the deep kinds. You've got the kind of relationship that you, you, you do your life with somebody, or you've got really good friends. You've got work relationships that you see every day. Maybe you've got a relationship with the person who works at the place where you fill up your gas full or your car with gas. Like, literally, we're bumping into people all the time, right? Relationships are so important. They're literally, like, your success in life can come down to how good you are at relationships and the time and the investment that you put in them and the skills that you develop in being able to navigate them. Relationship is literally what God is all about. So I like to, uh, I like to keep up to date with the different things that God's doing in, in the city, in the nation, all around the place, because God speaks and he has a big body, right? I love that song where it says that one day all the streams are going to flow together. One day, all the different churches, all the different places of worship for our God and Father, Jesus Christ. I mean, we've all got one Lord, and there's one baptism. There's one faith. There's one Father of us all, right? We meet in different houses, different places. We've got different emphasis. But one day, all of those streams are going to flow together. It's so good, eh? I mean, if you can see with eyes to see, you'll see that they already are, because we're already one in Christ, and it's just a beautiful thing. So, but anyways, God's doing something, right? And he's speaking, and he's speaking to his people. I mean, we've heard for years, those who've been here for a long time, uh, so I can say it, Bill, Bill's prophesied and brought words many, many times. God's doing something. There's a new sound coming. There's something new. There's something fresh that God's doing. Uh, we've got uh, other prophetic voices, intercessory-type voices, like, like Ingrid. She's just, God, God's doing something. Something's happening, right? God, God's stirring something in the city. God's doing stuff. We had uh, Sean Boltz come through and... Uh, uh, maybe this is like two or three years ago now, but this, this has provoked me and challenged me ever since he came. If you're familiar with Sean Bowles' ministry, he's a prophetic guy and uh, like the stature of a legit prophet. Uh, he came here, he read everybody's mail, but the first night he was here, he said something really, really profound. He said, you know, God's done a lot of things in the past. He's done a lot of revival type activity where he just kind of excites everybody and brings them back to the faith, where he moves outside the walls of the church in a big way and brings people to Jesus. He's done that stuff in the past and, it, and it's looked like something. It's looked really cool. There's lots of activity associated with it. But what he's going to do in the future, what God's doing in this next move, this next revival, the things that we're singing about today, when we're seeing God moving in the streets and God doing the God of revival. He said, what God's going to do in the future, what, what he's preparing for is a revival, a move of God that looks like healthy family. Isn't that amazing? 
A revival that looks like healthy family. A revival where people can be crazy, absolutely out of their minds, happy, drunk on God, and still know how to relate to one another and love each other and prioritize each other and put each other first. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that compelling? I mean, you look out over the landscape of the world right now, and, and there's a deficit of good relationship. It's a polarized world. People are angry and agitated with each other. People are upset at one another. People are, are, I'm in this camp and I'm in that camp. And there's fights and tensions. And people are looking out all over the world and just being like, where do I belong? And where can I experience genuine love and affection? And you know what? We can offer that as the church. We really can. And when God's moving, what he's doing, this relational God, this God who is love, what he's doing when he moves and he excites people and he brings people to himself, he connects them to one another in healthy ways. That's why he said, you know, the world's going to know that you're my disciples by your love for one another, your relationships. So, I mean, this thing on relationships, I, I, I hope you're not thinking, oh, well, I, you know, I got a great marriage. I don't need to think about that. Or I'm single. I don't need to worry about that. This works for everything. Relationships are literally the thing that God is doing. If you asked me, hey, Zach, what do you think God's doing in 2020? I would say he's creating healthy relationships. Relationships are the single biggest thing that you could invest yourself in. And today I want to talk to you a little bit about why I think that's true. So last week, Pastor Carl, he talked about relationships, the Jesus mindset. Paul, we're using the book of Philippians, and he said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, he said, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That's amazing. And then he went to outline what that looks like. And you're like, man, I'm just not that selfless. Like Jesus Christ, God himself literally gave up everything he had. Everything, it, the Bible says that although he was in the form of God, he didn't consider it robbery to be called equal with God, yet he emptied himself of all the rights and the privileges and the advantages of being God, and he chose to subject himself to the vulnerability and the pain and the risk of being involved in relationships with people who frankly could reject him, who could hate him, who would eventually kill him. He gave up all that and he came down for the sake of relationship. Isn't that amazing? And, and that's what we're, Paul's challenging us. And he's saying, you know, in your relationships, have that same attitude, have that same mindset. Embrace other people, in, in embrace relationship, enter into connection with people with the attitude that says, I am ready and willing to pour out everything I have for your betterment. That's challenging, right? That, that's hard. Let's be real, right? Real relationships, let's get real. That's hard. And relationships, even if you get it right, even if you do everything right on your part, you, sometimes the other person doesn't appreciate it, right? Sometimes you can have the best of intentions and you can come to a relationship with a, a genuine desire to, to pour out and to give and to give, and the other person's just like, I, I don't appreciate that, I don't want that. And, and, and even when things are really good, it can be tough. Am I preaching to the choir? Or like, does everybody know? Like, really? <laughs> At the first service, I had a little moment of worry. I was like, oh my goodness, everybody's going to go away thinking Jen and I hate each other. <laughs> Not true. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Yeah, we fight over animals. Let's be real. Yeah, Jen wins, but that's because I'm being like Jesus. I'm laying down my... <laughs> my relationship's going to get a lot harder when I get home. <laughs> <laughs> good times, bad times, relationships can be tough. So what I want to do today in the next half an hour is hopefully be able to convince you that as tough as they are, as hard as they are, as tough and as hard as you might feel in life that you're kind of beat up a little bit, don't withdraw from people. 
Now, just as a general really quick caveat, sometimes there are destructive and toxic people in your life that are harmful and destructive to you. And if you know that you're in that situation, do not hear me tell you today that you need to go subject yourself to that over and over and over again. That is not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, you know that general, uh, uh, just I, I can't be bothered with people, that like life's just really hard, I'm gonna back up and back away. I need to take a break and a time out from all y'all. Do you know what I mean? That kind of feeling, that's never good. That's a, that's a red flag that something unhealthy is about to happen in your life. So as difficult and as hard as relationships can be, what I want to try and do today is encourage you to lean in. Not to isolate, not to withdraw, but to step into relationships with people and really prioritize this for a couple of good reasons. One, we're designed for them. Two, they're good for your health. And three, healthy ones help you to understand who you are. We'll unpack that a little bit. But like I said, the backdrop and the context for this whole sermon series is the book of Philippians. And Paul, he had a really good relationship with these guys. He, this was a good church. It got founded when he, uh, I don't know if you remember in the book of Acts, but Paul has this vision one time of a man from Macedonia calling him and saying, come on, come to Macedonia, come, we need the gospel. He responds, he recognizes that that's a God dream, not a pizza dream, and he goes. And then a church is founded, there's miracles, there's signs, there's wonders. I mean, he meets this guy, Epaphroditus, Lydia, the businesswoman. It's in Philippi where uh, Paul and Silas get arrested for preaching the gospel and thrown into jail. It's in Philippi where they have that experience where they're worshiping Jesus and the, the, the jail gates, they break open and he leads the jailer to Jesus and then he escapes. Like just a lot of really, really good stuff. And he, and he writes about these people and he says in Philippians 1.8, God can testify, God's my witness, that I long for you guys with the affection of Christ Jesus. I love you guys. I love you like God loves you. That's crazy. I mean, he, he, really, he really cares for these people. But, and I'm probably taking a little liberty with the, with the text here, but in Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, 21 to 23, he says, you know what? I've got such a good relationship with you guys. It's so good, but I've got a dilemma. <clears throat> My life's tough. I've had a hard, long life. I've been stoned. I've been shipwrecked. I've got all this stuff going on. And he's like, you know what? I just wonder whether it's not time for me just to pack it in. And it seems that the Lord gave him the authority to be able to say, I would like to go home to be with you. And so he's legit. He's got this amazing relationship with his people, but, but he's kind of like, legit, I'm torn. I don't know if it'd be better to die than it would be to hang out with you guys. And, and I don't think in a facetious way. He's just like, this is a good thing. We got a great thing going on, but there's something better. I might be able to choose something. And who's ever thought that? I mean, who's ever thought, man, is this relationship actually worth it? Is it worth sticking it out? Would I be much better just to kind of avoid everybody, go isolate, go do my own thing, withdraw a little bit? I mean, and, and that's a guy, that's the Apostle Paul, who's having this, this dilemma, this internal turmoil, when everything's great. I mean, who, let's be honest, let's be real. Uh, sometimes things aren't good. Sometimes relationships are tough and they're tricky. How much more do you feel the pressure to withdraw in bad times? And I guess uh, we all need a little encouragement sometimes to step in and not run away. Because I think if you ask most people, uh, unless this is really revealing about me, if you ask most people what the biggest problem in their life is, most of the time it has a name. Or there's a name that's associated with it, right? People problems. People stuff. Right? I mean, your car breaks down, you gotta, you know, you gotta fix it. That, that's annoying. But, I mean, you got relational trouble. That's a bigger problem. Because that just impacts you on a whole different level. And a lot longer. And a lot more annoying. 
the Philippians. They had a they had some troubles, and, and Paul, he's basically like, you know what? You guys got some trouble. There's something going on in your midst that's so prob so troublesome. It's such a problem. I've heard about it all the way in jail. And he's like, this is your problem? Odious and soon touchy. Two names. I don't think that's how you pronounce them. That's my Pastor Carl is in there. But he's like, there's two people who are fighting. People. People are the problem. And uh, everybody in the place who's an introvert like me is like, yeah. Yeah, they are. <laughs> Just kidding. But here's the thing. I think that intuitively we all know that sometimes relationship problems can be very, very tricky and very, very uh, burdensome and painful. So Sherry Berg, she writes this. She says that money, many health, money, many health conscious people don't realize that the quality of their relationships can be just as toxic to their health as fast food or a toxic environment. Crazy, eh? I mean, we want to do the save the planet, get rid of the stuff in the atmosphere, and that, that's good, get rid of the pollution. But bad relationships cause inner pollution. This is just as damaging. In fact, unhealthy relationships may contribute to a toxic internal environment that leads to stress, depression, anxiety, and even medical problems. There, there was a long-term study done that followed 10,000 subjects for an average of 12.2 years, and research discovered that people in negative relationships were at greater risk for developing heart problems, including a fatal cardiac event, than counterparts whose close relationships were not negative. A little bit older research says that uh, the failure of healthy relationship has been associated with things like suicide, psychiatric problems, social stress, family instability. I mean, relationships gone wrong can cause some serious trouble. People problems are the worst problems. Introverts say amen. Amen. <laughs> Anyways, the Harvard, Harvard, Harvard Health School. They said this. Now, here, here's the thing. If, you, if you're like me and you're like, see, I knew people were the problem. I knew they were going to kill me. I knew if I hang out with these people, it's going to do me bad. Um, well, unfortunately, you can't avoid people. And the alternative of just kind of checking out is equally harmful. So this Harvard Health School said a relative lack of social ties is associated with depression and later in life cognitive decline, as well as increased mortality. So here's a study that examined data from 309,000 people. So like a serious study, like this isn't somebody's opinion. But they found that lack of, the lack of strong relationships. So I mean, you got bad experiences and that hurts you, and then you want to check out and go be by yourself. Well, you're not going to fare much better. It says that people with the lack of strong relationships increase the risk of premature death from all causes by 50%. That's the equivalent risk on mortality. It's the same as smoking 15 cigarettes a day, and it's greater than obesity and physical inactivity. Crazy. So not only can people problems really mess you up, but if your solution is to avoid people, you're going to get equally messed up. We need people. Literally, we do. I've learned this the hard way. Hey, I got an amen. I got an amen. We need relationships. We can't live without them, and we have to find a way to neg uh, navigate them, even, even sometimes negative ones. But what I want to talk about today is that initial tendency, that, that move, that push to just kind of, ah, I'm backing off. You know, I got hurt. Somebody hurt me. I went to a small group, and somebody said something I didn't agree with. I'm not going back. Or, you know, uh, so-and-so didn't look at me on Sunday. Uh-oh. You know, or, or so, like some legit, more serious stuff, not to trivialize, trivialize it. Like sometimes people have real problems and, uh, and it, can, it can hurt. It can be negative. Well, last week, Pastor Carl, he gave us these, uh, these four uh, tips 
to embrace the Jesus mindset out of Philippians chapter 2, where again, it talks about Jesus who, who left his lofty position and he came down and he embraced the mindset and the attitude of a servant. And he embraced a mindset that literally, when you think about it, he literally was like, what can I give to you and what can I do for you rather than what can I take from you and get from you? How can I benefit you rather than how can you benefit me? And you know, when you embrace this kind of mindset, as, as articulated by the Apostle Paul, exemplified in Jesus' ministry in his life, you actually will find that some of the issues in relationships get resolved just by having a simple tweak of your, your expectations, a simple tweak of your, your approach to the relationships and your mindset. See, uh, Pastor Carl, he said, you know, Jesus went, he let go. He emptied himself. He, he didn't hang on to his rights and his privileges. How much conflict in relationship comes from, this is my right, I'm owed it, you owe me this, you should do this for me. Well, when you let go of your rights in that respect, sometimes there's freedom in that. Your, your approach has changed. Your attitude. He said, when you go low, when you take the form of a servant, when you decide, you know what, I'm going to be the one who comes along and serves, I don't need you to try and do something for me. I want to do something for you. All of a sudden, you're, you're bringing strength to the relationship. And, and if you believe in things like systems theory and stuff like that, you can actually start to begin to produce a change in somebody else because you're giving them an alternate option to work with. Now that person is having to change. They're having to deal with a different, they're being presented with a different problem. Now instead of being presented with an obstinate person who's insisting on my rights, they now have to result, uh, respond to your new attitude. There's no guarantee you're gonna change somebody and you certainly don't wanna serve them in order to change them. But when you do embrace a servant-like attitude in a relationship, it presents people with a different option. How am I now gonna respond to this person who's now wanting to give to me? Oh my goodness, that's so foreign, that's so alien. And, and sometimes people can see uh, the, the obstinance or the, the, the problem in themselves when they're bumping up against a different solution that's presenting in someone else's behavior. Yeah, that can happen. Pastor Carl talked about when you do more, when you consider others more significant than yourself. You know, you go into a room and you're not like, hey, everybody, look at me. But, I mean, you want to find that person who's by themselves. You want to find a way to make everybody else feel good, make everybody else better. And then Pastor Carl talked about how when you can say Lord, and this is a big one, when you say Lord, you're recognizing that Jesus is your source. That acceptance, identity, security, purpose, all of these things come into my life through my relationship with Jesus. See, if I put the expectation on you that you're going to satisfy me and fulfill me, you're going to let me down every time. You're just, and, and it's not because there's anything wrong with you, it's just because you're not designed to do that. I'm not designed for you to ring all my bells. Jesus is. And if I put that expectation on you, I'm just going to end up with resentment towards you. And if you expect me or anybody else to do that for you, well, I know me. Good luck. Ask my wife. Like, it's not good. It's not going to happen. But when you come into uh, relationships with the right mindset, the Jesus mindset, things can shift and things can move. And it's, uh, it's actually really helpful for you. But here's the thing, even when you come into relationships with the right mindset, because relationships by nature are two people, two or more people, right? You can do everything right, and it doesn't mean that they're gonna do, they're gonna respond happily to you. I mean, they still might misinterpret what you're doing. Their, their filter of you might be so skewed that you're just not getting anywhere. You know, relationships are hard because they involve an element of, I can't control you. I, I can't make you respond to me the way I want you to. And therefore, I have to choose to put myself in a situation where I am vulnerable to the way that you see me and respond to me. 
And number one ingredient that will kill a relationship is to spend all your time trying to doctor and, 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 and shape how somebody sees you rather than showing up authentically and saying, this is who I am. Because when you do that, you're not actually having a relationship. Somebody's having a relationship with the presentation of you that's being presented, but it's not actually you. So authenticity is a really big key. So you have to be comfortable enough to show up. And when you have the right mindset and you say, I'm more than enough, I'm worthy, I can show up in my relationship and bring strength and give, and you embrace the Jesus mindset, you're going to be okay. Because you don't need that other person to bring something to you. But the relationship still might be hard. It still might, still might be difficulty. There might be break, breakdown. I mean, when you say that and you show up authentically and you say, this is who I am, and somebody rejects you, that still hurts. Like, even when you come with the Jesus mindset, that can still be painful and still leave a mark. The trick is to not let that drive you away and say, you know what, I'm not doing that again. The trick is to show up again and again and again and to not let yourself and your presentation be altered, but to show up fully loved and fully worthy and knowing, hey, I can step into this relationship and if you hurt me, I'm going to forgive you. 70 times 7. So, I got three things that I want to share with you about why I think it's worth it. Why I think that it's worth stepping into relationships, embracing people, instead of when you feel the pain and you feel the hurt, backing away. And the first of those is this. You were designed for a relationship. You were. It's part of who we are. Daniel Goleman, in his book Social Intelligence, he writes of the emerging new discoveries in neuroscience, and he says the most fund fundamental revelation of this new discipline is this. We are wired to connect. That's it. It's in our brains. It's in our neurobiology. We are wired to connect. We are social creatures. That's just, that's just who we are. Our bodies, even our bodies, our biology functions better when you're in healthy relationships with other people. So science, I mean, the Wednesday nights with Dr. Jedrin and, and Pastor Carl, they're looking at switch on your brain. And there's so much compelling scientific evidence that says you need relationships. But you know what? The story of our creation, of how God made us, I think is even more compelling. He says, you know, he made Adam and he, and he created him in the image of God. We were made after God. Now think about who God is. God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God exists as three persons who together are equally one. Somehow these three create one person. And when you, th when you see that and you embrace that, you have to, the Trinitarian nature of our picture of God, it makes you shift how you see individuals and how you see your own person. Because all of a sudden, personhood is not just one individual as an island, isolated from everybody else. But you see personhood, you see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit expressing the completeness of who they are in this one community of oneness and union with, with each other. And the beautiful thing about us and what Jesus has done for us is he has brought us up into that community where the person of God is fully expressed in relationship with itself. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit loving each other. There's this Greek word called perichoresis where it's, they're literally pouring themselves out in love into one another. And it's almost like this dance of love where they're just constantly giving and giving and giving who they are to each other. And the beautiful thing about humanity is we were designed to function best when we get caught up in the middle of that self-giving of God. So like if you think about it, I think in the earlier service I talked about a kitchen table. And you imagine it's dinner time in heaven. God the Father sits down, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Somehow there's three people at the table. Together they make one. But you know what? Humanity, all of us, we're there at that table. We don't have a separate chair. We're not, it's not a, a, a fority. It's not a, a trinity. Like the three doesn't become four. I don't know what the right word is. I, came, I said on tape fority. That's funny. So there's not four of us, but there's three. 
we are fully present at that table in Christ Jesus. In Jesus, he's lifted us up. Not me by myself, not you by yourself, but all of us have been lifted up to sit at the heaven's dinner table with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and we are all there in Christ Jesus. And that's how we were created. That's what we were designed for. So relationships are really, really big deal. It's tough to wrap our heads around, but we cannot be who we were made to be if we shut down and isolate ourselves to other people. Everything God is doing, he's doing through relationships. God has a purpose and a plan and a calling for each and every single one of us. But I'll tell you what, you're going to have to get good at connecting. You're going to have to get good at relationships and learning how to function with people if you want to see the fullness of that come out. Because here's the thing. Trying to work for God, trying to serve him, trying to accomplish his will, trying to advance his kingdom. If you attempt these things as, as tasks to be completed or assignments that God's given you to carry out, if these are functions for you to be performed rather than an invitation to know God, to walk with the lover of your soul, and to do life with him, not because the task itself is so important, but knowing him and the revelation and the knowledge of him that you get when you do it. If your heart is set on the relationship, you're going to get a heck of a lot more done. But if you're all about the task, you're not designed to function that way. You're designed to function almost accidentally, accidentally be productive by focusing on a relationship. So the Apostle Paul, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 to 11, he said, everything I once had going for me, it's insignificant. Now, what he says prior to that is really revealing because he's like, you know what? Those people over there that think they're something, I'm actually a little bit better than them. Like those law keepers, those religious scholars, I'm smarter than all of them. I followed the law better than all of them. I, I was a better servant. I, I did the things I was supposed to do. I achieved far more than all of them. And Paul says, you know what I think about all that stuff? Dog dung. Literally poop. That's in the Bible. For real. It is. It's, in the, it's the Greek. He literally says, that's what I consider all of those things. And I've dumped it all in the trash so that instead of a life of achieving things for God, I can know Christ. I could be embraced by him. He says, I don't want a petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ. He says, I gave up all that inferior stuff so that I could know Christ personally. See, Paul, he came, to, he came to understand that if I'm going to lay hold of everything that God has for me, my life, destiny, and purpose, if I'm going to be all that you can be, he's like, what I got to do is embrace the radical reorientation in my life. I'm no longer going to live as a worker, as a servant, as a principled lawkeeper. He, he embraced a new inner orientation that prioritized relationships over achievement. And you know, when you make that leap, it's not, it's not something that we have to do in the sense that, you know, now you got to go out and do all these hard works in order to become a relationship-centered uh, people lover. You just got to embrace the fact that Jesus Christ inside of you has recreated you and reorientated you. He's made you to prioritize relationships. That's why it can be so difficult and frustrating if you embrace a Christianity that's all about rules and achieving and performing and trying to do stuff because that's incongruent with who you are. When you embrace achievement and spiritual significance through, your, through what you're doing rather than the relationship that you have, something is wrong. At your heart, at your core, deep down inside of you, you are made just to be and just to be in relationship. But when life is driven to do stuff and to perform things, you're just not, you're, you're, you're out of kilter. 
And, and so that, that gets translated as frustration for a lot of people, sometimes depression, sometimes religious craziness. And it's a reason why a lot of people give up on the faith. And it's unnecessary. You just got to understand God has done something in you and he's made you a relational person. In fact, Paul said, you know, the spirit that God's given you, it's one of love, power, and a sound mind. The spirit that you have, the new person that's been recreated on the inside of you is made to love. Not only are we neurologically and neurobiologically wired to love, but spiritually, God's given us a spirit of love. So Paul, our John says, 1 John 4.20, he said, whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. Whoever doesn't love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God who they haven't seen. Ouch, right? That's pretty, pretty challenging. But you know what? We can love our brother and sister, and we do, because God has put it in your heart. So to live a deeply satisfying life, to live out of the, the essence of who you are, to live a life that's not filled full of frustration, that's congruent, where you're living a wholehearted existence, is one where you embrace the fact that at your core, you're made for relationships, and therefore relationships have to be a priority to you. If you shut down relationships, you isolate and you shut down people. Now, I'm not saying you got to not shut down bad people. Sometimes there's people, yeah, I give them a boot. You got to find some healthy ones. But I'm talking people in general. If you isolate, you're actually shutting down something of yourself. And that's not good. That's really not a good thing. Number two, relationships, they're good for your health. Now, there's lots of scientific stuff out there. Uh, one, here's Daniel Goleman again. He says that new discoveries reveal, and this is again in science and neurobiology, that our relationships have subtle yet profound lifelong impacts on us. Relationships have subtle, profound, powerful, long-term relationships on our health. Now, he says this might be unwelcome news for people whose relationships tend towards the negative, but the same finding, the same science, these same discoveries also point to the reparative possibilities for our relationship connections at any point in our life. So in other words, the damage that bad relationships can do, good relationships can fix. Not only can they fix, but they can launch you into a really happy and fulfilling life. So Paul had a, a fellow a co-worker. His name was Epaphroditus. He was from Philippi. He had a really good partnership with this guy. Loved this guy so much. This guy loved Paul. The, the Philippian church loved Epaphroditus. And somewhere along the line in Epaphroditus' ministry with Paul, he got really sick. So Philippians 2.7, Paul says, you know what? He was sick. He was really ill. In fact, he almost died. But listen to this. God had mercy on him, and God had mercy on me. And he healed him so that I would not have one sorrow after the other. Now, that's amazing. Paul's got a lot of stuff on the go, right? I mean, he's had a hard life. He's got lots of things. He's spinning lots of plates, lots of churches. And uh, so he's just got one difficulty after the other after the other. And it's like he's saying, you know what? If, if, if Epaphroditus is taken out of my life, that's just one thing too much. I just, I don't know what I could do. Like, I, that would be it for me. Like all the stuff that I've got going on, I need this guy. I need this guy in my life. And he's writing to the Philippians and he's saying, look, I know how much he means to you too. In fact, he's better now and I'm going to send him to you because I know that if you see him again, he's going to make you all feel so good. It's going to be so good for your health to see this guy. Paul knew, or God knew that the solution for Paul and the, the Philippian church and the anxiety and the stress and all, the, all these uh, psychosomatic aggravators that were going on in their world, he knew that by restoring Epaphroditus to fellowship, relationship, and function with these guys, that was going to make them better. And that's amazing. I think that God has an Epaphroditus for each and every single one of us, or at least a couple. And by that, I mean the, the kind of people who you just need to live with. 
like not, not literally live with, but there's people that you need in your life. There's people that God knows. There's people out there that God has, has prepared and fashioned and said, you know what, you guys got to get connected because I know you're going to be so much better. You're going to be so much better together than you are apart. There's people out there who actually make you feel good. Your spirit, your mood, your attitude, your approach to life, it, it all gets elevated when you're in the presence of these people like Epaphroditus. And you know what? The funny thing is, whoever's Epaphroditus to me might be like, I don't know, the opposite to somebody else, right? We all got our people. We're all different. You got to find your people. And the best way, honestly, the best way to experience and open your heart to an Epaphroditus, somebody who, who brings that kind of strength and love and joy into your world and makes you better, is to be that for somebody else first. If you want a friend, you gotta first be friendly, right? I'm pretty certain that's in the Bible. Now here's the thing though, if your tendency is to kind of step back and pull away, you know, you're, you've been hurt, you've been upset, you've had bad experiences with people, and you just wanna pull away from people, here's the thing about that. All the positive things that come into your life by the Epaphroditus, the happy person, the good person, the person who makes your life, makes you feel better, if you shut down your life to people in general, you're not going to be able to get the benefit of Epaphroditus. And what that looks like is things like uh, escapism or numbing or, or finding ways in life to, to try and cope, to just get by. I mean, the kind of attitudes and behaviors that are the seedbed for addictions and things like that, where you're like, you know, I just need to take the edge off a little bit. Or uh, you step back and you try and numb yourself to people. You're like, I'm going to church and I'm just, I'm not going to care what anybody says. I don't even care. You know, and you try and embrace an attitude and a mindset that just shuts down and numbs you to everybody. Well, the thing about that is this. When you do that, when you numb yourself to the, to the potential risks and the, the dangers of vulnerability and connection with other people, you're actually also shutting down your ability to experience the good. So this is Brene Brown. She says, you can't selectively numb an emotion. If you numb the dark, you numb the light. If you take the edge off the pain and comfort, you are by default taking the edge off of joy, love, belonging, and all the other emotions that give meaning to our lives. So if you decide, you know what, I'm just shutting down and I'm going to shut you out. I'm just going to get my head down and just not, I don't care about you guys, whatever. You can't do that to people and then still expect to get the benefits of positive relationships with others. In other words, you can't have your cake and eat it. You know what I mean? You're open to people or you're not. And then more and more research and stuff is coming out saying that actually this is, this is provable stuff. You know, you, you just can't do it. So we need, to, we need to stay sweet, as Pastor Carl always says. You got to stay sweet. You got to stay open to people. Even, even in difficult times, you can't check out. It literally is an introvert's nightmare. By trying to create space for yourself, and numb yourself to the, to the possibilities with people, you're actually also shutting down the possibilities to all the good that you can get from people. And that's really not a good spot to be because the benefits of being with people far outweigh what you think you're gonna protect yourself from. So it's good, it's good. Good relationships are healthy. And finally, if you're in relationship with the right people, they bring out of you, you. They're able to help you be you. They're able to help you to understand who you are. And in this day and age and in our culture, there is literally so many forces out there and so many people and so many relationships, whether it's social media or marketing, whatever it is, there's stuff out there that's trying to make you to be something that you're not, right? There's this constant message out there that says you're not enough. 
literally there's something wrong with you. But if you could look like the person on TV or your life looked like the person on social media, then you'd be enough. Then you will have made it and everything will be just fine. So there's this constant pull to pull you in a direction to be something and to look like something that's not congruent with who you are. And if you buy into that game, that's very, very soul-destroying and tough. Living under that kind of expectations can really kill you. Literally, it will kill you with stress. It's not good. But here's the good news. When you have the right relationships, the right relationships can help you to connect with who you really are. They free you. They, they literally help you. So uh, Bob Blakely, or yeah, Blakely, he says, thinking of identity as an artifact all by itself, it's unsatisfactory because we can talk about an identity and the attributes of an identity leaves out important details about how identities are created and how they evolve. All that to say this, relationships are the landscapes in which identities exist. Relationship is where you get your identity. Think about it. I'm a child of God. Do you know what, what makes me so significant as a child of God? Is the God part. I'm a otherwise I'd just be a child. Child of who? Child of what? I mean, Jesus called some people children of the devil, right? It's the of God part that qualifies and makes that significant. I, I can live as a worthy whole person because I know I'm loved, but you know what adds significance to my life is the one who loves me. That's why John said, I'm, I, I'm, I'm the one who's his beloved. I'm, I'm loved by him. I'm the one he loves. Right? The significance is it comes in the relationship. So this can go horribly wrong or wonderfully right. And in Philippi, it went wrong. Paul said, hey, there's, there's these people out there. They're dogs. They're evildoers. They're mutilators of the flesh. Philippians chapter 3. He said, you got to watch out for them. These are people who want to come into your life and try and bring you back down into the thing that you came out of. They're the ones who want to take your flesh, your appearance, and mutilate it. Mutilate who you are. Disfigure your identity and twist you into something that you're not. Now, these people, the way they did it was by saying, you know what? You guys need to get back into the law. You need to get back into dead religious works. You need to embrace our expectations for you. Now, I, I don't know if you feel that kind of religious pressure all the time, but sometimes that can come across in relational pressure, where you're in relationships with people who are putting their own expectations on you, demanding you conform to what they want you to be and think you should be. And if you just meet their expectations, then everything's good. And if you don't, then you're stuck. That's not good. Paul says, beware of these people. Beware of these dogs. What do dogs do in scripture? Dogs return to their vomit. Dogs return to the thing that made them sick. There's people out there that'll pull you back down into where you came out of. They'll remind you of what you once were rather than pointing to who you now are. They're, they're the people who are going to try and mutilate the appearance of the life of Christ on the inside of you and try and get you to believe that you're not as lovely as he thinks you are. Beware of those people. But you know what? These people had a Paul. Thank God for Paul. Thank God for the Pauls in our lives, the kind of people that can come alongside and say, hey, watch out for those person. Let me who your true identity is. Hey, it's not, that, it's not what they're saying. He says, it's us. We are actually the people of God. You're the people of God, not because you embrace their expectations, but because you become one with, the, with God in spirit. He says, we're the true circumcision, those who worship God in spirit. So we all need Pauls in our lives. We need people who will fight for us, who will remind us of who we are and through the love and the grace and the care and the affection of Jesus, minister to us and, and chase off and chase out of our lives those voices that attempt to distort us and mutilate our true identity and nullify our worth and our value to God. We need Pauls, and you know what? We got to be those Pauls to other people. And that's the beautiful thing about relationship. It's in relationship and in a face-to-face -face with somebody where you can actually connect and you can, it, it's like, it's the vehicle. The connection that we have is the vehicle through which the truth of who you are gets conveyed back to you. 
when you're able to, to have a relationship with somebody and really be accepted by them with the love and the affection of Jesus Christ, you're able to see yourself for who you really are because you're being treated like who you really are. See, that's the beautiful thing about God. God doesn't just say you're a child of God. He treats you like he's your child. He doesn't just say, I love you. He treats you with love. And it's in the relationship, the connection, the experience of I'm loved by God. I don't just say he loves me. I know he loves me. And it's when you switch over, when the light bulb comes on and it's like, wow, I've experienced the love. That's when the identity inside of you comes to light. That's when the light bulb happens. And we have the privilege of being able to do that for one another. Maybe somebody's struggling with their identity. I, 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 I don't know. Maybe you keep messing something up. Maybe, maybe you're feeling like a failure. But to have another human being with flesh and blood, to be able to look you in the face and to be able to say, I see you perfect in Christ and actually treat you like you're perfect in Christ, that sets identity in people like, like nothing else. I mean, you can go park yourself in your bedroom with your Bible and, and quote scripture to, you want, to yourself till, till the cows come home. And maybe you're going to have a God experience. But I'll tell you what, some other human being with flesh and blood that can actually tweak your cheek and say you're beautiful, that's actually what produces change in your life. That's amazing. That's why we need each other. We're wired for it. Those kind of relationships are what make you healthy. That is, for me, the missing ingredient in all of Christian discipleship. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's not an intellectual pursuit. That's a relational endeavor. That's when we get together and we begin to treat each other with the love, the grace, the affection, and the worthiness that God sees when he looks at each one of us. That rewires your brain socially. That's why me and Jesus in my bedroom doesn't work. That's why Jesus at Starbucks doesn't work. That's why church is such a beautiful thing. Because we get to really get to know each other. And, and I mean, some of, you, some of you know me better than others. People who know me, there's warts and stuff, right? But we still love each other. Amazing. And I'll tell you what, in, in the world that we live in today, if there's a community of people, I mean, look out across us. We're a beautiful bunch of people. We're, we're I'm going to say it, we're old and we're young. We're of different backgrounds, different ethnicities, all that kind of stuff. But somehow, I mean, you know what? If, if we pressed every single one in here, I'll bet you most of us would have different ideas about the faith. Just being honest. Some of us have different perspectives. Like Stephen's talking about giving. Some people see giving this way. Some people see giving that way. Do you know what's awesome about this place? Somehow we all are able to, to have those views. We're all able to be different, maintain our difference, but be one in Christ. Nowhere else on planet Earth can that happen. And I'll tell you what, the world is looking for that place. People want to know where they can belong, experience full acceptance, and have the kind of relationship that says, you know, all that frustration in your life, all that stuff that, that comes out of not knowing who you are, that incongruence with how you're living, we can fix that. We can point you to the one who actually made you. We can point you to your true identity in Jesus Christ. And we, through our relationship with you, can help bring that out of you. That's what church is all about. So we need relationships. I mean, you got some tough ones. I'm not saying it's not. We're being real. Relationships are hard. They really can be. And again, hear me, sometimes you need to set up boundaries. Sometimes there's people in your life who are those dogs and those mutilators, and you need to not take on a martyr complex. What you need to do is see yourself through the love of Christ and say, I'm worthy of something better, and I'm going to refuse to let you pull me down. That's not a lack of love. That's not being like Christ. That's standing with both feet planted in the love of God and saying, I'm worthy because of the way he loves me, and I'm not going to let you treat me that way. That's okay. That really is. But what's not okay is to let those type of experiences drive you into a way of living where you're just kind of backing up. You don't want to lean in anymore. You've kind of painted every human being with the same brush. And I think introverts do this quite a lot. I mean, or at least me. 
You know, it's like, well, I had a bad experience with one human being, so I'm going to have a bad experience with every human being. Not true. Right? So we got we to gotta push in. Hopefully I've been able to convince you today that it's worth it. It's worth it to lean into people. It really is. And uh, the, 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 the risks are there. I'm not going to lie to you. You lean into people, you might get hurt. You really might. You might get rejected. You might run from one relationship into another just to get hurt in a totally different way. That's life. One of the beautiful things about Jesus, though, is he brings a resilience in your life that helps you to continue to get up and show up. He helps you to continue to get up and show up and be yourself. Continue to put yourself out there. So he gives us the example. He says, you know what? I've resolved. I'm going to forgive people 70 times 7. Amazing, eh? So relationships. This is it. We're made for them. You can't run away from them. It's part of your DNA. It's wired into you. Embrace it. Don't try to become a relational person. Understand that God has made you that way. It's just, it's just literally who you are. Don't shut down to people. It's healthy. Good relationships are healthy. The benefit of health in your life through good relationships really is there. It really, I mean, I, I love that. I, I love the idea that I could trade the potential of going to the gym so often for just getting around some nice people. <laughs> Praise Jesus. I'm all for that. I don't know if it quite equates to the same, but I hope it does. And lastly, good relationships. They really can help call out of you what God's put in you. Help you to be who you are. So let's resolve. We're going to be those people. We are those people because of the grace that God's given us. He's given you a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. You can pour yourself into others, and you can help others identify with the God-given identity they have. You can do it. We all can, because we've been gifted and anointed by God to do it. Amen? Relationships are worth it.